coming up on See Here Love. We're intentional in every other area of our lives and sometimes we wing our parenting out of exhaustion. I would just urge you to reallocate some energy. Save something. Don't come home from the, from the office just spent. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another See Here Love podcast episode. And you are in for a real inspiring, encouraging, uh, convicting conversation with myself and John Tyson. John is a pastor and church planter in New York City, and he's recently written a book called uh, The Intentional Father, A Practical Guide to Raise Sons of Courage and Character. He serves as the lead pastor of Church of the City in New York. And he's Australian, moved to the United States over two decades ago with a passion to seek and cultivate renewal in the Western church. And actually this is like the third time that I've actually spoken to John because he's been so great. He's been on our show and I met him at a church planting conference, which we'll mention in our conversation. But I think to set this conversation up, if you are a burnt out, exhausted pastor, if you are trying to figure out what to do post pandemic for your church, whether it's big church, small church, then this conversation is for you. Uh, it's an honest conversation about where we're at and encouragement for you if you are really struggling in your ministry work and church work. Uh, the second part of this conversation is for dads and not dads, but parents, but specifically dads because John wrote this as a dad. And if you are a dad, and I have a big list here, so I know this is a long intro, but if you are a dad struggling, if you're a single dad, a dad in a blended family, a dad who has lost a child, a dad who is consumed with work and feels guilty that he's not connected with his family, a dad who is caring for his elderly parents, a dad who is struggling with addictions, who is struggling with his mental health, a dad who feels emasculated, a dad with a violent temper, a dad who didn't have a dad, a dad who has been traumatized. If you're a dad who has been abused or you are an abuser, or a dad who has control issues, or a dad who is keeping a secret, or your dad who's in incredible debt, or a dad who just found out his wife is having an affair, or maybe a dad who is having an affair, or a dad who has been abandoned, or you are a dad who doesn't believe in God anymore. I hope this conversation encourages you. I know John's new book, The Intentional Father, will encourage you, so I would really strongly suggest you, you get that book. But this conversation is just encouraging dads, encouraging dads as, as you lead in your home. And this conversation is also about grace for you. And all the things I, I listed about where you could be in your dad journey, uh, this conversation really is about faith and hope and love and that God is with you as you parent and as you are a dad. So without further ado, here is my conversation with John Tyson. Hey, did you know that there are more than 40 million people in slavery today? That's more than ever before in human history. And IJM Canada is working to end slavery in our lifetime. Imagine that. IJM Canada's mission is to protect people in poverty, 
protect them from violence by rescuing victims, bringing criminals to justice, restoring survivors to safety and strength, and helping local law enforcement build a safe future that lasts. So check out IJM.ca to find out how you can become a freedom partner and take a stand against injustice wherever it's happening. John Tyson, I have been waiting and excited for this interview because I think the last time we were together was in Edmonton, Alberta, in Canada, yeah. at the Breakforth Conference. Yeah. And I interviewed you on one of the Fruit of the Spirit, which was really great. You were very thoughtful and wise. But the other time was, remember, and I don't know if you remember, I was in New York City. It was a church planting conference. And you were speaking, and I think I came up to you because I'd remembered you from my last women's show. Yes, straight up. That that, that's the one I really <laughs> – that's the one I really remember. Come on, rumors have gone. That was my first TV appearance. I I was just it was a very bad experience for me. I didn't know what I was doing. Bad answers, the whole thing. Really, you thought so? Yes. And we thought we, you were great, and you were surrounded by all these women on this couch in Canada. <laughs> yes, it's been. But you did that well. That was probably over maybe ten years ago, a decade ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was. So you know what? Then maybe I'll chalk it up that we set you up for success, for good communication. Yes. Because you, you prepped you me. Had it you teed me up. I'm grateful. The legacy <laughs> lives on. <laughs> yeah. And then it was great uh, interviewing you for our show. And can you believe we're celebrating our five-year anniversary wow. now? Seven seasons. So you were a part of kind of like the earlier season. And now this year, it's five well, years since I launched Congrats on keeping it going. I mean... Gosh, it's been a hard couple of years. And so seeing this sort of like thrive and go to the next level is a real joy. Thank you. Thank you. So how are you? I, I've been, before we get into your new book, The Intentional Father, I just wanted to know how you're doing. How did your family and church manage through the pandemic? Maybe just a quick catch up. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. Um, gosh, it's just been a wild two years. I mean, we got... You know, I was in Hawaii right before the, the week before the pandemic sort of like kicked off um, and we rushed, changed our flights, came back to the city and then we did one live service live stream to sort of test the tech and to celebrate this epic event, we did a group photo and in that group photo, it's a picture of us all getting coated because someone in that photo had it. So it kicked off with like very, very severe sickness. My wife was very, very sick. I mean, should have been hospitalized, but it was like, I'm not going to a hospital. Back then, it was, there was so much fear. There was so much uncertainty about COVID. Um, I woke up and I couldn't taste or smell anything. And I was like, what has happened to me? I had all this cologne on. And then I came out and I was like, my cologne's broken. And uh, everyone in my house was like, you stink. What is wrong with you? But I didn't know back then that COVID made you lose your, you know, this is in March, yeah. 2020. It was a very painful time. The city was just traumatized. I mean, I'm still honestly still like processing some of the deep things, like what happened to me, what it, what it did on my heart. Um, but we're through it. I've since become an empty nester, dropped my daughter off to college. Um, it's been a wild season of just rapid change, a lot of pain, a lot of highs, but mainly a lot of lows. But by God's mm -hmm. grace, we've come through it like in a pretty good spot to relaunch. We just fully brought our church back after 18 months, four services, did a leader's wow. launch day. And, you know, it was really, really rich to see everyone. And the weirdest thing is seeing people's kids who 
they were two when I saw them. Now they're almost twice the age, twice the size. I was like, so it's been, you know, the city's bouncing back. Uh, it certainly feels like it's doing a lot better than a lot of other places I read about. My parents are in Australia. Australia feels like it's still under disaster. Like, I don't know if their plan is to perpetually lock down its citizens. It's really, well, really are, wild. So. Yeah, it's like us here. Mm. It's in, in Canada. Mm. And we're still in, you know, lockdowns and, and not necessarily lockdowns, but just restrictions. Um, I'm curious if I can ask you this for church, because I've been having lots of conversations with people about mm. church, that we have to really change the way we do church, uh, that a lot of people after this pan, you know, pandemic, a lot of pastors and people in ministry are like, I don't, I don't know if I can go on. What has been your experience? You know, sort of this, we've used the word pivoting a lot, mm. but what has been sort of the biggest sort of pivot for you? Maybe some encouragement. Cause I, I have a lot of people in ministry and pastors who are really struggling, John today. Did I just see that you had Henry and Alex Seely on? Yes. You I know did. that they're yes, some of did. my closest friends from my teenage oh, years. Oh, really? Oh, they were wonderful. They yeah. were they were great to chat with. Well, I mean, I, I bring that up because we're all from the same church, the same youth group. Alex was my small group leader. I used to go surfing every weekend with Henry when we were teenagers. Um, and my guess is they had the same sort of response that I had. One of the things I'm very grateful for uh, from the Pentecostal tradition is sort of like the vision of an overcoming spirit, which is like, you know, mm. Caleb's like, let's believe the good report. Let's believe the promises. It's not naive. It doesn't. Um, deny reality or like just bypass it but it does believe that God can get us through it I'm very grateful for that sort of like gift of faith in that tradition um, but it's very hard for a lot of friends drop out and um, so I think one of the things I heard Tim Keller say very early on and this just shaped basically how I've lived the last year and last year and a half he said Christians when crisis has happened Christians are born for crises. We have heroic responses. We have an instinct of sacrificial love. We just pour out, give up, serve. He said, but what he noticed after 9-11 is that everybody, when the adrenaline sort of ran out, it wasn't, it was the people like a year and a half later, two years later, who all dropped out. And it was sort of like a warning, like if you just rely on natural power, if you're just gritting it and gutting it out, he's like two years from now, you'll bail. And so I, I think I consciously said, I need to pace myself. I need to enjoy Jesus as the deep part of this. I need to rest in the middle of this. I cannot, I cannot let um, the crisis become the, the only crisis of my heart. I've got to find joy in it. I've got to look for beauty in the midst of the pain. So I think I, I consciously started doing that in March or April. And I'm telling you, it has sustained me and saved me. I'm very grateful I'm coming out of the pandemic with a very full heart, with a lot of energy, I'm very grateful. But I think it's probably, I probably underled a little bit. I wanted to do more, but I'm trying to play a long game. I'm trying to put another 25 years into pastoring here in New York. And so I was like, mm -hmm. I don't want to just like go so hard that I sabotage my future in some heroic effort in the short term. So yeah, it was very hard to like have that balance of like leading, um, stepping up, sacrificing but also realizing I've, I've got to leave something to rebuild on the other side of this and so it's only because of the wisdom of mentors and friends that i think i was able to make those adjustments and, and do that and be where i am right now that's really encouraging john you know sort of the the, the long game mm. because i think a lot of people were sort of like short-sighted and mm. saying we've got to just get through it mm. now we do but i think in that you're right a lot of energy was expended uh, a lot of just <laughs> trying to deal with all the chaos mm, and mm. unpredictability. 
and a lot of energy, emotional, spiritual, physical, and mental, just sort of like, and now I'm just seeing, you know, so much, uh, really exhaustion, yeah, totally, burnout, totally. and we're going into a new season yeah. and we're like, now we're gearing up, right? Mm. Everybody's trying to gear up and people really, I mean, I was in one of my church meetings. They're just like, we cannot give anymore. Like we, we are spent yeah, beyond. Totally. And yes, I can't, I can't mm. lead a small group, Melinda. I can't no, do it. It's I just, so I true. It's it. it's one of those things. Um, when when you're doing well, hard things are easy, but when you're tired, yeah. easy things are hard. You just can't do it. And you know, if you're in a fight and you're in round ten and you're just getting beaten up, you have one thought, and you know what it is: stop the pain. And I think there's a lot of folks right now who are sort of in stop the pain mode. They're just like, I just, you know, folks have taken so much criticism in leadership. They're just like, like, who am I even doing this for? You know, like, it just feels like ungrateful, critical people. But I think I'm, I'm very grateful to have, yeah, coaches and mentors to give me perspective in the midst of this. How do you differentiate yourself from people's pain? How do you love them? How do you put boundaries in place? So, yeah, I think the, the wisdom of the mentors, mentors has, like, in many ways saved my soul during this period. And... Um, so, yeah, I would say to people, like, if you need to rest, you're better off to step out now and regain your heart and put another 20 years in than just grind it through out of obligation and then tap out in three years. You know, yeah. so be honest with yourself. Be, acknowledge where you are and who you are and have a plan for sort of restoration, not just escape. And I think that God's strength shows up in our weakness. And if, but as long as yeah. we're honest about it, we've got to say help, Holy Spirit help. Yeah. No, I can take it from here. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is, for, I want to just, I've got a lot of empathy for pastors and Christian leaders and I mean, everybody, but you know, I'm a pastor. So these are sort of like my people getting through these last 18 months. John, that's, that's good thoughts, not just for us in this time mm. of pandemic, but I mean, this, that, that wisdom could have been said to many pastors pre, pre, mm. pre COVID yeah. who have been trying to like push it out into, into the work and are feeling burnt. We're, we're burnt out and exhausted before the pandemic. And now they're faced with this and it's just compounded, you know, even more, but that's, that's actually really good wisdom, good advice. And even for myself, I think what was interesting when I was faced with a crisis, I'm pretty good at kind of stepping in and going, assessing and then going and leading a team. And, uh, you know, our team did more during the COVID time than any time before wow. we, we wrote a book. We did webinars, yeah. we did more podcasts, yeah. we did more shows, John. Like we, my team's just like, what is happening? Like we literally, I was like, rally, let's go, let's do it. Because we also had, in, in a good way, I, I had a, some time to pause and mm. stop because the whole world stopped, which got me some moments mm. to go assess what's the need, how can we best care and speak into culture and, and, and you know, bring kindness and hope to people. But I was going so much like this that actually the COVID kind of screeching halt. And then I was able to kind of like assess the landscape and go, this is the most effective way and means to connect with people. Yeah, I mean, so, for, for content creators, this was genuinely like maybe the opportunity of a lifetime. And I think yeah. some folks might have underutilized the opportunity side of things. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, so yeah, why, why wouldn't you write a book? I mean, this was my great fear. I said, I don't want... When my grandchildren ask me, Grandpa, what did you do during the great pandemic to only be able to list off all the Netflix shows that I watched? I wanted to be able to say, like, here's some stuff I did, you know. So I wrote a book. You're holding it. Maybe or it's near you somewhere. I mean, I wanted to sort of redeem the time and focus on things. That being said, man, I got grace 
for however you got through this thing. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, you yeah. can't change it now. You can't go back now. All you can do is receive new mercies for today, reset your heart, and then lean into what's in front of you. But, yeah, I mean, I tend to be a doer. New York's one of those places that sort of, you know, revs a little higher. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I just would encourage people, you know, and one thing like one of my mentors has been saying that a lot of people don't talk about, he says, what if this is the start of the pandemic, not the end? Like, what's your plan for the next three years? Do you have enough energy in the tank right now? Have you made the adjustments? Have you figured out your... There's an idea Jim's, Jim Collins talks about in his book, Great by Choice, tells the story of the the two folks trying to get to the South Pole and he talks about the 20 mile march. I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but I've sort of figured, it was, he basically says there was two, two people with two different strategies trying to get to the South Pole. One of them traveled, when the weather was good, they'd do 40 miles a day. And then when it was bad, they'd sit in a tent for four or five days and wait for it to clear up. Very inconsistent, very sporadic, relied on external circumstances to dictate the journey. And another guy in his preparation said, we're doing 20 miles a day, period. If it's sunny or if it's snowing, we're doing 20 miles. And he sort of basically got his people to a pace of consistency that wasn't dependent on the circumstances to deliver their their vision, their mission. And so, uh, you know, and that group like didn't win by a little bit. It was like one group died, the other group broke all the world records. Like the delta, the gap between having that mentality was like life or death. So I've sort of got my own version of like, here's my 20 mile march. And here's the stuff I do regardless of the season. And that's given me sort of a sacred pace in the midst of everything. And you know, some days it's a little more intense, obviously you're dealing with people in crisis, but for the most part, it's like a pretty steady focus on mission ministry and just staying the course for the long haul. That's good because I, I, I've been told that the, uh, the Spanish flu lasted seven years. Dang. Just, just, Dang. As in, and there was and seven. Mm. So here we are sort of two mm. and, um, <laughs> what is it going to look like as we prepare, you know, potentially for more things to come in three, five years. So that, that's really good mm. advice. Now talked about a book. Mm. I want to get there because I think it's fantastic about being an intentional father. I love that David Kinnaman did your forward because David actually pre COVID came to our studio oh, and did a whole big, mm event with all these attendees mm. about why young people were leaving the church. Yeah. He gave such great insight. So I love that he did the forward. It makes so much mm. sense in, 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 you know, your, your story and your book mm. and having him there. So fantastic. Yeah, he's such a great but guy. Isn't he great? Yes, he was so much fun. We joked a lot, mm. you know, we were like, it was so great. And, and we had like a packed out um, audience that came and made a lot of like pastors and ministry leaders. And it was just like so many aha moments mm. when he shared. So I, I, anyway, I was thrilled that he was, he did your forward, but I'm going to do some quick questions to you okay. and you can say some short answers because I want to kind of find out you being a dad and your thoughts about being a dad. And, uh, and then we'll get into your book uh, on sort of these five areas you've identified uh, to be an intentional father. So John, but just before you ask, just so it's very hard for me to give short answers. I'm like in a tour. I give three answers last an hour. So let me do my best here. Let me, let me get ready. Okay. Well, when I say short, yeah. it doesn't have to be like, yes, okay, no, gotcha. but you know what gotcha. I mean. Okay, ready? Yeah. John, number one, the best thing about being a dad. Uh, revelation of the father's heart. Tangible encounter of God's heart for me. That's good. Nicely done. That was like answer. Strong and powerful. Great. Number two, the toughest part about being a dad. Uh, kids, kids rebelling 
Just like when your kids make unwise choices, the, like the level of nothing in my life I've ever experienced has wounded me more deeply than my kids' rebellion. It's a good one. Yeah. Okay. You're like that wasn't strong and powerful. John, that was strong and powerful. <laughs> no, like, we're gonna really like kind of unpack so hard, that yeah. as we as we start talking through the book because I, I have a fourteen and seventeen year old. Oh, you're in it. Fourteen you're in daughter, seventeen year old son. So we're we're in some we're in some. Mm. Some interesting waters and times right now, John. <laughs> okay, how about this one? Number three, the one thing you really can't understand about Gen Z or is questionable, words, memes, what they watch on YouTube, what would you say? You can't understand or you just are like, what? You know, I spend so much time trying to understand Gen Z and because I have kids who are Gen Z, I'm pretty obsessed with understanding them. So I feel like I understand them. Uh, what I mean, if I could tweak the question, it would be like, what do I have the most empathy for, for Gen Z? Okay, uh, it would good, be like, they have no idea what technology is doing to their brains. Mm. You know, like I have very, like, I have tremendous uh, sadness about how their brains are being rewired to not be able to concentrate because of the utilization of technology. Yeah, that's a good one. Good one. Okay, on that then, you've sort of answered it, but not, but more specifically, one thing that encourages you and excites you about Gen Z. I think that they have like a global vision, that they're aware of the world in a way other generations are. That's the upside of technology. Mm -hmm. They're connected to people everywhere. And so they have a, a huge sense of both responsibility to people, to the planet, uh, and to each other. And yeah, like a, just a way bigger worldview and appreciation of like what's, what's actually happening. I think that's a huge gift. I would have thrived in that with my personality if that was available to me as a kid, but it, it wasn't really. Could you imagine, John, what that have been meant? Like I, I, somebody told me the other day that like I actually got on Facebook in 2007 <laughs> and then Instagram later and talking to kids who like I never knew about Google I, we still went to the library. I couldn't access it. We were faxing information back and forth to get information. Uh, the Dewey Decimal System, like all of these yeah, it's, things. It's wild. And I was thinking to myself, wild. Because I was like, if I had that information just for my schooling and just the way that I, I'm, I'm curious about the world, would have been so interesting at that time in my life. I remember getting an email address when I moved to America. This is in 97, okay, 24 years ago. I just remember thinking, okay. this will never catch on. This is like, this is like, who's going to use this? Have to log on. It's just it's too much drama. You know, it turns out, yeah, I, I never then, said that again. I've and, never said this would never catch on again. Was the email a Yahoo Oh, address? straight up. It was, was like it? Johnny Tyson at yahoo.com. I still have a Yahoo account. It's like the one I use, no, you the don't. one I use for all the required, like, um, emails that you have to get subscription emails or whatever. So that's like my, my spamish one. Can I say something that's actually personal, but kind of crazy and I've never shared this, Bring it but on. just, okay. A few months ago, this is how bad I had to contact MySpace because I had a picture. They still have someone you can contact there. No, here's what's crazy. John. I had a picture of myself and my ex-husband still up as my profile pic on MySpace? And when people, yes and when people googled me that no picture way. was still coming up because it was still kind of working whatever how the it algorithm is has on it. MySpace. <laughs> and so i had to contact the person and try to figure out and have to look about how to remove a picture wow. 
from my space. Did it work? Okay. Did so it work? It's gone. It's gone. Okay. There's a new picture now of me and my my husband, my current husband now. It's just beautiful and, and better. But that's what I mean. It how is like, that stuff still floating up, around like, on the effort? That's how you get fired. It's stuff you wrote 15 know. years ago. I remember my last, I think, MySpace entry is it's like it's Columbus Circle. Tooth, I'm in Columbus. No, I'm in, uh, yeah, Columbus Circle. I think it's 2004. Yeah. And I'm saying I will move to New York City and plant a church in Soho and the Upper West Side. That's no. like the last thing. And then I, I never got a church in Soho, but I did start one on the Upper West Side. So that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I, there wasn't anything. I think I, I, I kind of like erased everything on MySpace, but the picture still that's is there. Crazy. So anyway, fascinating. Okay. Um, I, I want to ask this too, and then and come into the book, but, but this intentional father, like, what does that mean? Intentional and present. We don't, we use intentional for, for things like, like, let's be intentional about in works, you know, in work conversations or intentional in being a good friend. But what does it mean to be an intentional father? John? Well, I, I wanted to start by saying, um, look, the stakes in fatherhood right now are so high. The stakes are so high for forming our young people. Almost 70% of them walk away from their faith when they go off to university. Um, the, the church, I mean, you were talking about David Kinnaman being there. The church is hemorrhaging a generation. And um, I, don't, I don't say that like an alarmist because the institution of the, you know, the Western church or whatever. I say it out of love for these people. They were created by God to know him and enjoy him. And they're going to be going after these other things that ultimately do not satisfy, that lead to spiritual disaster, separation from God. So, yeah, the stakes are so high. It's such an important moment. So I feel like I basically sat down. I said, well, what are the alternatives? If you're not intentional, what are you? So I basically opened the book by talking about five mm -hmm. kinds of dads, parents, if you will. Mm -hmm. First of all, they're irresponsible. There's an irresponsible parent who just doesn't care. And, um, you know, they just, they just basically bail on their kids. Then you get um, ignorant parents. These are ones who just don't know what they're doing, do a lot of damage because they just do not have the tools or understanding to raise kids well. Then I talk about inconsistent parents. These are those that are in and out, driven by their own uh, addictions or ambitions. Or I just watched a documentary, a tragic documentary, about a guy whose kids, uh, he goes to prison, and then 15 years later, he goes back to prison for 18 months. And in that 18 months, his kids say, he comes out and all of his kids are just falling apart. And they all say it's because my dad was just inconsistent. He wasn't here these 18 months. I was like, dang, there's so much heartache connected to that. Then I talk about involved parents. This is like your typical good parent. They're around. They do the sex talk. They show up at games. They, you know, talk about your friends, those mm -hmm. sorts of things. But as good as that is, oftentimes kids can feel, or teenagers can feel in particular, deeply misunderstood because the parent is prescribing out of general wisdom or from their own story. They're projecting their understanding of childhood or adolescence onto their kids. Instead of saying, who are you? What are you going through? How do I understand these complexities? So I'm just saying intentionality is basically asking who has God given me? What is their destiny? How do I design something to help prepare and form them in that? And then how do I walk them through that into, uh, into adulthood? So to me, that's the basic vision, intentionality. And you nailed it. We do it for everything else. If you were to say to like a person in the middle of their career, like, what are your plans for your career? People, very rarely are people going to go, 
I don't know, man. I'm just kind of like just going to wing it and just see what's up. People like go to a, in New York, it's like you go to the right kindergarten to get to the right elementary school, to get to the right middle school, to get to the right high school, to get to the Ivies, to get to the right internship, to get to the right firm. I mean, the intentionality with vocation is off the charts. I don't know why we don't, don't do that with our kids. So, yeah. So I love that. And I know we're going to, that comes mm. up again in sort of like in recognition. Uh, but why did you write it? I mean, obviously this comes out of personal experience, yeah. but why now and why did you write it? Well, I think there was three reasons. Number one is like, I loved my son. So when I started this with Nate, like, I don't think I'd ever planned to turn this into a book. I just loved him. And I was like, man, I've got to design something for my son. He's heading into these teenage years. And if I don't form him, the world will. So I was like, you know, like, how have they done this through church history? Like, what have other cultures done? And I, I basically realized we have nothing, man. We've thrown this out. Almost every other society set a conscious, recognized formation pathway from adolescence into adulthood. We're the first society that doesn't really have it. And I was like, that made me scramble to research and read and figure it out. Then I basically mm -hmm. took all of that research and then sort of put it together in one place and designed a thing I could walk him through from sort of 13 to 19. So yeah, it was born out of love for my son. Then secondarily, I think I had a lot of dads sort of like eavesdropping or sort of looking in at what I was doing and they're like, man, I feel like I'm lost. Help. And I, at that time was like, uh, I'm like one step ahead, you know. But then I, I got to the end of, the, of my time with my son. This is when we were walking 500 miles across Spain together, doing this like epic Camino journey. Was it Camino? Did you do the Camino? Yeah, that's how we closed it out. The Camino. I wanted to do it. Oh, my okay. God. Do you want to do a podcast on the Camino? I'll just weep I my way to, through. I have a couple friends who do the Camino, and I'd love to gather you guys together because I think the experiences are very life and very. Anyway, yeah. I was on that, and I thought, you know what? I had built a course called the primal path and you know, it was like a hundred bucks. It was 200 bucks for the video version or whatever. And I wanted dads to have skin in the game. You know, dad will pay a hundred bucks to go see a sporting game. And then everyone was like, why isn't it free? And I was like, you need skin of the game. You value, you know, like where your treasure is, your heart is. And I actually originally gave it all away for free and none of those dads finished it. The second you put a price tag on it, they're like, I must, must have some value. But then I realized, hey, if I wanted this to address like a larger audience, I needed to write something like challenging but accessible that the typical dad would pick up and they could read it in a day if they want. I just talked to three dads who said I read this in one day. And that's my vision. And so I, I basically saw there was a little bit of a generational need. If this book was already written, I would have just used it. But I felt like I had to take the best of like seven or eight books and mash them together to sort of produce this. So, yeah, I wanted to the typical dad with a heart of love to feel like here's a practical plan I can use and then be able to do it. So, As I've read David Ash's book, Simple Wealth, I've been struck by how passionate he is to see people thriving financially so they can focus less on money and more on what God has called them to do and the impact they want to have with their lives. Can you imagine that? Not stressing about finances so that you can do what God has called you to do. I'm in, sign me up. You know, the audio book is less than three hours long and it's a complete roadmap that will guide you to financial freedom so you can have a greater impact in the world. So if you feel like you might be starting too late or if you don't know where to start and just need simple steps to guide you when it comes to, listen to this, important things, everyone, saving, 
investing and building wealth, then I really encourage you to pick up Simple Wealth at simplewealthbooks.com slash see here love. So see here love is passionate about justice for everyone everywhere. And that's why we are so honored to partner with IJM Canada, an organization working toward just that. IJM Canada's mission is to protect people in poverty from violence by rescuing victims, bringing criminals to justice, restoring survivors to safety and strength, and helping local law enforcement build a safe future that lasts. If you'd like to be a part of this work, go to IJM.ca and find out how you can become a freedom partner today and help rescue and protect millions of people worldwide. So that's a good setup. You talked about the five kinds of like fathers, mm-hmm. parents. So let's kind of go through these like other, these four sort of markers, anchors of, of being an intentional father and what you've learned along the way. So, you know, you sort of kind of gave us the introduction, but now it's sort of preparation. Um, and, you know, again, not giving away too much as we want people to go get the book, but in one of them, it's, it's honoring your father. Mm. And I find that interesting. I've had a really amazing mm. um, example of as a dad, as, as, as someone who's been adopted and then having my adopted dad just be the most incredible role mm. model. And it's actually a little emotional because my dad actually just had a heart attack oh, last I'm so week. so sorry. And we, uh, thanks. And we were sort of like processing that and he's, he's doing well mm. now, but in recovery. Mm. And it actually, John gave me some reflection on my dad. Mm. And what was it about him? Mm. And he loved God faithfully. He was courageous. Mm. He he was a missionary, right? Mm. So that's how I got adopted because there were missionaries in the Philippines. Wow. Um, and watching my mom and dad, and my dad especially, sort of lead our family in incredible faith, hope, mm. miracles, healings, mm. overcoming, you know, back then when there was no google mm, or internet yeah. and we're sort of like away from canada yep. in in the philippines and just realizing sort of the imprint of my dad and literally he was in media and television mm. and here i mm. am years later in that so i i'm i i'm like oh honor your father that's easy mm. <laughs> i can i can do that but for a lot of people who are listening and watching that's a struggle that's a block yeah i i agree it's i i'm i don't think you know, I've been pastoring for 16 years in New York City. A lot of very sort of like successful people, almost all of them, or, or so many of them, are driven by deep father wounds. Haven't been blessed, feel like they couldn't live up, had something to prove. So, you know, we have a responsibility, I, I believe, as parents, particularly as dads. You know, uh, Rollheiser says, whatever pain is not transformed is transferred, which means that if we don't deal with it, we're going to pass it on to our kids. And it manifests itself particularly under stress. Anyone can do well when you're doing well, but when you're not doing well, that's when the pressure comes out, and, the, and, and parenting is one of those high-pressure moments. So, yeah, I, 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 the, maybe 25% of the book is an attempt to help people come to terms with their own childhood, deal with their own story, deal with their own father wounds. And the other big, so number one is acknowledging you've got them. I think number two, another thing that a lot of folks do wrong or a mistake they fall into is when they say, I'll never be like my dad. But the reason that's unhealthy is because you're making your dad's behavior the default line instead of asking the question, what does my kid need? And it turns out your, make, your kid may need a little bit of what your dad was like, but there's so much pain there that we just avoid that. So 
can be very, very challenging to have the emotional distance, the sense of healing, to process, you know, to let God heal the inner life so that you can then look at your kid and then say, what do they need? How do I give the best of my story to them? How do I damn the brokenness that's coming through our generations? Mm-hmm. And, then, um, and then how do I build something forward? Yes, yeah, so it's very, very important. And I, I think, honestly, God in his kindness, every parent, when they get ready to have a kid, has the fear of God fall on them. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, you look around at the world and you think, I, do I want to bring a kid into this craziness? And then you think about your own story. You think about your finances. You think about your marriage. You're like, are we ready? No one ever feels like, no, we're completely ready for this. So you've got that sense of terror. But you know what? Life keeps going. Before you know it, you just get used to it and you just go on. And that, that sort of intentionality, that urgency to deal with your own drama just gets buried under the busyness of life. So I think it's very important to take a season. You owe it to yourself for your own healing to really reflect on your family of origin stuff and then, to again, to honor the good parts and to weep for the broken parts and to remove the broken parts. And then that gives you sort of like a, like a, you know, like a, your own wisdom, you know. You don't have to always pull out someone else's book. You're reading off the story of your own life, what God's done in you and through you and being able to sort of codify that as family wisdom to speak out of, I think is very, very powerful. So yeah, huge part of it. You, you've got to do that deep work or you just pass the stuff forward uh, unintentionally into the life of your, your kids. That is so good. And I love that because that's so much about being intentional, mm, yeah. you know, being intentional, working on the hard stuff that you might not want to confront about yourself yeah. or family yeah. of origin. Yeah. But I think that's a good reminder mm. that if we don't, it can definitely be transferred to our kids yeah. into our home life and what kind of home uh, we live in. Mm. And, you know, that, that's really powerful. Mm. That's good. That's good preparation. So that's a good one. Okay. Then we move into initiation. Talk to us about that. You, you have in there like values and, you know, this, but initiation, we don't use it a lot. I think we think initiation like sororities or fraternities yeah. and, you know, you're being initiated into, but that's exactly it. In, initiated into, you know, parenting, a dad yes so i mean one of the things like if you if you basically study almost every human society except late modern society they had conscious pathways to initiate young people into a journey into adulthood there's something happens in us in our early teenage years our bodies are being filled with chemicals they're changing our strength is increasing our energy is going up we're feeling erotic energy for the first time in our lives we're wanting to test ourselves, challenge authority. All of that energy needs to be directed somewhere. Otherwise, we'll sort of like burn the village down. You know what I mean? We've, we've got to like figure out how to channel these energies that we're facing. And so societies like um, James Hollis, who's uh, a Jungian psychology, says that all societies basically, almost like they had a blueprint without ever talking to each other, took young people through six conscious steps. And the first step is like the removal of the environment of childhood, like often by force, like they would just come in the night and take you. Then they would have a death of childhood ceremony, like some sort of moment where like your naivete was put to death. Then you were basically given the the tradition of the community. You were given its religion, you were given its story, and then you were given um, the roles that were required of you to participate and serve the community. Then you went on a great ordeal, and the ordeal was basically to test whether or not you'd learned it on your own. So in Australia, like young Australian Aboriginals, 
were sent out into the outback where everything you see will kill you and there's no water for up to six months. And at the end of that, they would know I can handle anything. Like I've got it in me. I've got it in me to handle life. So these external values that have been given to me are now internal values I live out of. Then there's a recognition ceremony when after you complete the ordeal, people said basically way to go, we recognize you. And then they were integrated back into society to serve society. Okay, so that is like almost universal. Now, what happens to a young person today? All of our moments are are like almost accidental. First exposure to porn, bullying, overemphasis on education, grades, and performance, sporadic little bits of religion, you, you know, YouTube clips or sporadic church attendance because parents are busy or they prioritize sports above your spiritual formation, pressure to go off to college, go to college unformed, deal with temptation and then try and recover in your 20s for some sort of morality and meaning. And we've got to do better. We owe our young people something better than that. An accidental life of self-initiation is killing young people. Look at the suicide rates. Suicide rates, depression rates, anxiety. What they're basically saying with all of their acting out is like, wiser person, please guide me. And we're simply saying, no, we're too busy. And so the key is intentionality to say, I will guide you. I'll give you what I've got. Now, the challenging thing is young people don't often give off the vibes like that's what they want or that's what they appreciate. They're, off, they're often giving like vibes of like, you can, you know, like take off, please. But underneath all of that, what they want to know is to be loved. I remember once I was like, my daughter was being disciplined by me. And years later, I said, I'm sorry, I was pretty hard on you in that season. And she said, you know what? All of my friends said to me, I wish my dad would discipline me like that because it showed that he would love me. John, did you mind to say, and I, last year, I had the same thing. We had a high school reunion mm-hmm. or a year or two years ago. And I was sitting with my girlfriends mm-hmm. who had an amazing they had no um, curfew. Mm, they could do whatever mm, they wanted. Mm. I was always curfewed and it drove me crazy. And I was mad at my parents. I said really harsh things to my mm, parents about mm. it. And so we're sitting around on a patio talking about high school. And one of my girlfriends uh, says to me, you know, I want to say this to Melinda because now we're at this stage and age. And I look back mm. and I know you were so mad at your parents because they were like 1230 home. And if not, then we're going to pick you up or whatnot. Yeah. And you'd be so angry and you'd be swearing at them. And yet every one of us who could just stay out till 2 a.m., 3 a.m., deep down we're like, I'm so jealous because Melinda's parents cared. Mm-hmm. Like actually care about where her well-being like, and her well-being. Like where Melinda will be because, you know, after midnight everything, you know. And I, I looked at them shocked. I'm like, are you kidding me? They're like, your entire senior year we were jealous of you because wow. your parents gave you boundaries they gave you curfew and we had nothing and you were jealous of us because we had this freedom mm-hmm. to do whatever we wanted and yet we were jealous of you that's, that's now probably tr- just what you said kind of was like whoa <laughs> yeah and i i think i mean i always with my kids tried to say you know like what is the way of wisdom is this wise like i'm not i would always mm-hmm. say i'm not trying to punish you because before you right. know it, you're going to leave this home and do whatever you want. I'm trying to teach you the way of life, the way of wisdom. 
And I always try to get them to ask, like, who will you be in your late 20s, your early 30s, if you do this? You know, like, what are the, think long-term, think beyond this moment. And it'll always use their pre, um, previous season as an example. Like with my son, I would say, hey, do you remember when you were obsessed with Legos? Like, how important is Lego to you right now? He's like, not at all. I was like, did you voluntarily load all of those sacred Legos into a box and just give them to some kid? Yes. I know it's hard to comprehend, but all the things you cherish right now will feel like that one day. Do not like harm yourself. Do not give in for these things that when you're older, you will look back on. It's just Lego, man, but later, you know? And so you don't want to just tell them like, trust me, I love you. You've got to explain why. You've got to give them a vision about why the way of Jesus is the way of life. And I think that's what my kids are most grateful for. And I, I, I got to tell you, the maybe the greatest top three, well, my top three moment of my life, you know, I, I don't want to embarrass her. I don't think there's a chance she'll ever hear this. But when my daughter was walking around college, introducing me to a new friend, she said this, I want you to meet my dad. He is literally the wisest person you'll ever meet. That was her like mm. voluntary descriptor of me. She was excited for her friends to meet me because she genuinely believed like my dad is wise. And my wife pulled me aside that night. She said, I hope you feel like those years of pouring yourself out were worth it in that one moment. That is your adult daughter mm. recognizing you amongst her peers. And I just like sat in my room crying, you know, like it was all worth it. Thank you. Because <laughs> I tell you, she didn't think I was the wisest person necessarily all the way through. No, I know that. So. And, you know, there's one day where I'm like, I hope they get it. Why we're doing mm. this, why these hard conversations have had to happen, why we've chosen not to do things, mm. or, you know, like, and it's, it's hard, you know, when your kid rejects you or says things and you know that, you know, we know it's best for mm. them and they're not understanding it and then we explain it like we, we really my husband Chris and I really are about around the table mm. having really honest conversations yeah. and safe conversations yeah. but it's you know there are moments mm. John <laughs> we're like will it pass yes. will they get it one yes. day <laughs> well I mean both my you kids know? are in college now and I'm like you know it's the truest statement is the days are long but the years are short I mean it's just yes. so true well, used to tell me. that's what my dad used to tell really? me Melinda Days are long, yeah. Days are long, years are short, and especially because now you know he's turned seventy nine. Wow. He's like, that's wow. how I feel. He's like, that's how I feel every day. Still, yeah. I'm like, all right, okay, that's amazing. I, I really am. I'm learning a lot, lots of wisdom mm. from the wisest man. <laughs> I love that. Uh, <laughs> next, when we move into his formation, yes. you have rules to master. You have these five shifts. Uh, what is what does that look like for? you know, parent, dad, who's like, okay, what does, so we've gone through preparation, this sort of initiation and values, and now it's this formation. Yeah, well, it's all based on like a very simple idea. And here's the idea. Like one day your kid is going to leave your home. That's it. And I'm telling you, like this, this has happened twice to me. And that the finality of those years hits you. Like I still, I have a wonderful relationship with both my kids. But it's different now. They're not under my home. They come back by choice, but they're, they're their own people. They have their own mentors and peer groups and all that. And so I was like, you got this sacred window. And so I said, what I wanted to do was ask the question, what, what do I want my son to know 
Who do I want my son to be? What do I want him to be able to do before he leaves this home? And then how do I create experiences and how do I come up with the information and skills he needs for that to happen so that when he leaves with his two suitcases full of stuff, that like he's able to look back and say, I've got what it takes to navigate the next season of my life. And so that was the big vision. That was the big vision of formation, which is like, I've got these with my son in particular. It's like, I've got these six years. What do I want? To, how do I not waste them? And then like immediately I have people push back and they go, six years, that's too long. I'm like, you, he's going to be in your home for six years anyway. It's not like, well, I wish it was two years. Therefore, I'm going to ship him off when he's 14. It's not how it works. So, yeah, how do you how do you then consciously begin to basically reverse engineer? And I just got a huge calendar out and worked backwards. And I said, I'm going to spend a season consciously working through these specific things. And I, so, yeah, and in the middle of that, I realized like this basic sort of like roles, intuitive in the male psyche that a young man's going to need to get right. He's going to have to have some confidence in these. So you know, like, how does a, a man interact with women? Like, you know, women are a deep mystery. It's going to be very confusing. It's like, you'll never understand us. And we demand that you understand us all at the same time. You know, it's like, oh gosh, that's so paralyzing. Um, so how do you teach him? To, you know, what about like masturbation, pornography, sexuality, cohabitation before marriage, the pornification of everything? Like, how do you navigate that? What do you do when you're attracted to that, but you realize this is outside of God's timing or boundaries, you know? So it's like, okay, I've got to, I've got to talk about that. And then how do I help him be a follower of Jesus? Like, what does that even mean? So what are the core things? So I basically just spent a lot of time thinking about the vision I had for my son. And I can tell you, if people would say, like, what have you done different than other dads? A lot of dads have done some of them done better jobs than me but i'll say this i mean i spent so much time thinking considering meditating asking the deep questions sitting with my thoughts for hours at a time brainstorming a whiteboard you know and it actually was like a gift to me when it came to my own formation because i realized i had these huge holes in my own formation stuff nobody had ever taken me through and so it was actually a chance to fill in some of those gaps so if you to ask yourself if you had three months to teach someone everything they needed to know about Jesus for the rest of your life, like what is the most important things you'd cover in 12 weeks? Well, like you're like, oh gosh. So number one, you'd probably get a touch lazy and you'd be like, let me just buy like 12 things every Christians need to know. And then you're like, no, that's not it. They're missing stuff. So I just spent like, when I stand before God, I want to be able to say, Nate, here's the sacred deposit that was given to me. Here's what they are. So I went through that category by category. And then I think one of the big ideas was trying to like design shifts so that your son can see he's moving from boyhood into adulthood. Like we grow best when we, or we feel best about ourselves when we're making progress. Like we see, hey, I'm on the path, I'm going somewhere. Imagine running a marathon and there was no mile markers and you were just like perpetually tired wondering how much longer. So I wanted to design yeah. some points where I, my son could see, hey, I'm moving along. I'm not just chronologically older, but I'm developing into a man. And here's some of the things that mark that out. So yeah, it was a combination of like skills, time, knowledge, big challenges, daily devotions, all put together under these headings with some markers so that he would know he was making progress from adolescence into manhood. And yeah, that took, that okay. took several years, but, and look, I mean, you can do whatever version you want of this. I mean, you could do it as simple as like, here's a Bible verse of the day. Here's a quote a day. And here's one question of the day. 
You do that every day over the course of six years, you're going to go deep and you're going to work hard to figure that out. But your son will learn a lot. You'll learn a lot. So I, you know, I'm a pastor. And so I like had a lot of, I think, theological training to draw on. And so like the, the Bible stuff was easy, but there was other areas where I was like, gosh, I wish I just honestly drove a truck or was a mechanic because I have nothing to offer. And so the other thing I would say in the midst of all of this that really helped me out is drawing on the Christian community. We have such an advantage being in the church. You know, it's not just you and your kids versus the world. You've got, you've got mentors, brothers, sisters, other families, why, you know, people from different ethnicities, socioeconomic realities. They can just form this rich tapestry of mentors and guides and leaders to help shape your son. So I don't want parents to think like they have to have all the pressure, but I do want them to accept a lot of responsibility. That combination of like, I got to do this and I'll bring the best people I can to help. I feel like that's a very potent conversation for form, uh, combination for formation. That's so good, John, because, you know, I'm thinking about this and we prepare and study mm. on so many other levels, you know, uh, driving, yes. uh, university, uh, you know, television and, and scripting. Like we do a lot of the work and prep to, to achieve that or to get that. But a lot of times in parenting, we're not as intentional. Yeah. We sort of like let things happen yes. as they go. Let, let life take us on yeah. and we kind of respond and we're reactive to what comes up. And what I'm hearing you say in this formation is that there was great intentionality for you to think, to take the time to work mm -hmm. this out, go backwards, have conversations with your son, work with your family community. And I think that's, I think that's a good reminder, not only for me, but you know, our viewers and listeners mm. who are saying it, it takes work, you guys, mm. like this is not something where you, you you're surprised by outcomes. Mm. If you haven't done work, right? Like, oh my goodness, how did that happen? Well, yeah. you know, there is, you know, a sense of like a responsibility for us as parents to do the work. Yeah. And I, I, I want to frame this. It is definitely hard work. Um, it, it's, it's heartbreaking work. Mm -hmm. It's also the, the greatest joy of your life. You know, I mean, you made these kids, what a miracle. Like they literally exist because you help create them. It's just staggering. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just, if I could say anything, it's like we're intentional in every other area of our lives. And sometimes we wing our parenting out of exhaustion. I would just urge you to reallocate some energy, save something. Don't come home from the, from the office, just spent, you know, like save something for your kids. Now, obviously there's going to be stay at home, you know, mums and dads, and they're like spent because they're with the kids all the time. But at some point they will go to school. At some point you will have larger chunks on your own. And so to me, it's like, I always tried like one of the, my default a lot is, is no, I'm a massive introvert. I cannot get enough time on my own. Um, so one of the things I would always like consciously discipline myself was to when my kids would ask, I would say, yes, dad, you want to play with me? Yes. Dad, do you want to watch this show with me? Yes. A lot of times I was like, I'm tired, but I was like, no, I'll regret this. Yes. Dad, can we go to the mall? Yes. Dad, can we go get cookies? Yes. I want it to be a yes, dad, not a no out of tiredness, dad. And um, it was mm -hmm. like, there was sacrifice in doing that. But I'm telling you, I've got so many wonderful memories that simply by being there, great things happened. And the intentionality often creates environments of possibility. 
And it's just like by being there, things can happen. That if you're not there, it won't happen. So to me, I mean, I would just say, yeah, put your heart into it. I give you my word, you will wish for these days back. At least some of them. So do what you can now, and then you'll have memories to savor and to look back on, I think, with fondness and joy. I love that. And I think that really works in when you, your last point about recognition, mm. you know, what that means is the intentional father. I think you've, you have some more to say with that, John, but I really hear what that is about, you know, doing the work and, and realizing that you're right. Like, and I think I, you know, Nathan now is in grade 12 and we're part of a blended family. So I, I met Nathan when he was six years okay. old. And I can't believe he's in grade wow. 12. Like, actually, it, it struck me just this past while because they're back in school and I was like six and now grade 12 like turning 18 next year and it's just like you know and I met Sophie when she was three and now she's turning 15. Wow. So it's just you're right time time goes by fast Mm. and Mm. you know it 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 really has been and it has been a joy I mean being being in a blended family what I like to call a bonus mom Mm -hmm has been, you know, I will say this, I never wanted children. And for a lot of reasons, I was just like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm so self-focused and, 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 you know, have all these things I want to do in my life. And it was interesting how God kind of brought mm. this part of my life, uh, just never expected. And yet what I have learned mm. as a woman, mm. as someone in ministry and leadership mm. about ch- kids and other centeredness mm. and parenting mm. and you know, mother, heart of God, father, heart of God, like all of that has actually really, and I wouldn't say, I think just sort of made me a whole person, woman than I ever thought I could be because of them. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and the blended family part is a very unique yeah. conversation. Yeah. That's been really great for a lot of uh, people that I've met who are in blended mm. families. I've been able to speak. Yeah and encourage into that space because we've had to really navigate, you know, some of the challenges in that and, and the joys. So I would say that, you know, kids have really given me uh, sort of this fullness of understanding God as father and, and my role and what, and what you're just saying about being a part of a child's life and mentoring them and speaking life into them and seeing them. It's it's pretty beautiful. Yeah. Love has a way of bringing us out of ourselves towards others. Yes. And true, true joy, true life is always shared, shared joy in life. And, you know, yeah. it's like my, I mean, gosh, I love my wife so much. We've been through so much together. We'll probably have another 40 years together. You know, I mean, still so much to explore and grow, but my kids just opened up different parts of my heart that my wife even couldn't, you know, and mm-hmm. um, they're gifts to be received, you know, not, not problems to be solved or issues to be resolved or obligations or duties to be it's it's a gift to us and and i would say you know like just with the the idea of like being intentional the minority of families these days are like traditional families you know and so i would just encourage people like whatever your family dynamics are move out intentionally proactively and with love and you never know what god will do you just never know how something uh, can happen or will happen as a result of it. So yeah, there's so much power and intentionality. Start where you are, move out and see what God does. I love that. John Tyson, you know what? We could talk for a long time about so many things. I was jotting down all these other notes on you. We'll ha- you'll have to come back and 
I'd be so happy to, yes. Do another interview with us, but that was amazing. And I think I, I just learned a lot. And I think for any, I think in the beginning, I didn't know this was going this way, but for any kind of struggling or burnt out, tired pastor ministry leader or struggling dad, this is a conversation to, to hear. And I think getting your book, you know, the intentional father, uh, a practical guide to raise sons of courage and character is a must get. So go get that. And you can get that on Amazon indigo. I was kind of checking it out. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah. The book you can, you can get. So John, thank you so much. Thanks for being, being with us and any other last thoughts or I think, I think you said it no, all. No, I mean, I just, I, yeah, I want to encourage, I, I, I want to encourage beat down and overwhelmed parents. Like stay the course to not lose heart, take a deep breath, get a cup of coffee, ask for fresh mercy and grace. You never know how a simple word spoken in love can be the key to your kid's heart. So yeah, I mean, just like stay the course, take heart, you know, God, God be with you. God give you grace. God give you strength and uh, play the long game. It'll, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Yeah. John Tyson, thank you so much. We'll be praying for you and cheering you on as you continue to lead in New York City. Lots happening there. So many things mm. uh, that I know that you're having to kind of manage and navigate and have the great discernment and wisdom. Mm. So we'll continue to pray for you as you lead. Thank you. Your I covet your prayers. I really appreciate that. Thanks so much. Yep. Thank you so much, John Tyson, for spending time with me. And as I learned about what it means to be an intentional parent, and what it means to be an intentional father, and also just what it means to live out this long game of, of leadership and health and rest. So good to hear about um, how to make it through the pandemic and crisis, and so good reminders. But um, I'm gonna be sharing some of my own thoughts around what I heard from John. But now, uh, let's go to the See Here Love studio. Uh, where we're going to hear from our men's panel, Matt, Chris, and Art, about their thoughts on what it means and what it takes to be an intentional dad. Uh, the highs of being a dad, the challenges of being a dad, how their faith in Jesus informs their parenting, and so much more. So let's head on over to the studio and hear from the guys. As I've read David Ash's book, Simple Wealth, I've been struck by how passionate he is to see people thriving financially so they can focus less on money and more on what God has called them to do and the impact they want to have with their lives. Can you imagine that? Not stressing about finances so that you can do what God has called you to do. I'm in, sign me up. You know, the audiobook is less than three hours long and it's a complete roadmap that will guide you to financial freedom so you can have a greater impact in the world. So if you feel like you might be starting too late or if you don't know where to start and just need simple steps to guide you when it comes to, listen to this, important things, everyone, saving, investing, and building wealth, then I really encourage you to pick up Simple Wealth at simplewealthbooks.com slash love. So, hey, we'd love for you to join our community at See Here Love. And I love John's response. And, you know, Matt, we met him a number of years ago in New York City for mm -hmm. church planting like conference. 2015. I know. He was so great. He continues to be inspiring. Mm -hmm. And I just love about his tips on how to be an intentional dad. So lots of learning there. Yeah, cool. Okay, so we talked about the best things, guys, about being a dad. 
let's talk about the tough stuff because that's mm. also like pretty much where the rubber meets the road. What is what would you say the toughest part of being a father is for you? Art, let's start Me? with you. Yeah, let's go with you, Art. <laughs> Yeah. Um, if, if Mel knows me, um, if you know me at all, you know that I love giving you my two bits. And I think that's the hardest thing for me is to bite my tongue, not tell him what to do. Actually watch him and give him a chance to struggle, hmm. a chance to discover, a chance to fail. And, and you, you're trying to balance that wisdom of going, now I have to father, I have to teach him his, uh, how to respond. I have to teach him the ways. Or you let him... Uh, swim you let them go and I think that's the hardest part for me is trying to learn that balance like when do I step in when do I not just let him be and he can he might make a really severe mistake mm. but it, it'll be his right so I think that's a hard place for me yeah I, I love that because when they're a bit older I mean when they're younger you're watching them so they don't hurt themselves fall crash yeah. into stuff fall down the stairs but as your kids get older you're trying to let them make some mistakes <laughs> And step back and be well, like, when do I, when do I intervene and when do I not? I think sometimes even younger, like my, my son, when he was really young, he would, he loved to be uh, active. He loved parkour. That was kind of, he wanted <laughs> to be a parkour kid. And he, he would jump over everything and mm. he would trip, he would fall, he would hurt himself. And my wife would always re react like, <gasps> and I, you know, you let him do it. Well, you know, he might get a. Head injury, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're going to learn. No problem with the head injury, you guys. That's like a, such a dad thing. Get a head injury. No, I'll let him go. That's okay. We'll, we'll worry about that later. <laughs> How about you, Chris? <laughs> Toughest part of being a dad, what are you noticing? Um, I think for me, because my kids are, are a bit younger, uh, 12 and 9, hmm. it's watching them go through stage stages that I went through myself and I don't know what to do with. Right. Because it was one thing to go go be 12 years old and go through the beginnings of, of being a teenager. It's another thing to watch my daughter go through it and help her understand how to choose the right friends, knowing that some of her friends, they may not be on my favorite list or for my son in terms of his loves and his, his interests. And then realizing that there are some disconnects. There are going to be some things that they love that I'm not going to understand. And watching them, realizing the hardest part about being a dad is that I'm actually becoming more like my dad whom i love but i'm actually the old guy learning as opposed to the young cool guy who i always think i am teaching yeah and so doing the disconnect and figuring those pieces out trying to be a teacher while also trying to be a learner and be a student at the same time with my kids is is there's some moments of friction there but we're we we make it work yeah i grew up in a family of only boys i have an older brother and a younger brother and, and now as a dad, I have two daughters and a son. And part of my learning in all that is how do I raise a son? That felt, okay, I get that part. I understand what he's going through. But then with the girls, I'm like, I got to learn a whole new way of being and understanding. And that has honestly been a tough, but like a, 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 a rewarding journey. But man, that was hard in the beginning days, trying to figure out what to do with kind of the different kids, for sure. Oh, the subtleties. There's so much more subtleties that I didn't know or conversations are happening with eyes that I wasn't aware of. <laughs> oh, the eyes tell oh, a lot. That's good. Exactly. Let me just jump in, because I want to know um, what would help you guys to be a present intentional dad, because that's what the show is. Yeah. You know, Matt, for you, like, because I think there's a lot of dads that struggle with it, and when I listen to young people, they say, we just want you to be there yeah. for us. You, we don't want you to say stuff. You don't, we don't even want big gifts. Yeah. 
we just want you to be there. So, so Matt, for you, what, what do you need to help you be really intentional and present? You know, my biggest thing is I love to have uh, like a million things on the go at once and I kind of thrive in that, but that doesn't work with parenting, I've mm -hmm. discovered. So um, I can't treat my kids like they're one of the things that are going on, especially with, you know, all the demands and, and sometimes it's tough stuff you're, that's get, <laughs> taking my attention, but there's lots of good things that you're excited about, yeah. but I need to just like, kind of shut those things down. And I've tried my best, I'm still trying, I haven't arrived, at like figuring out when I'm on for work and other people and then when I just need to be present with the kids. And that's, that's been a big deal because often it's not that you have a word of wisdom or like you're this wise sage. They just want, like you said, they just want you to be hanging out to be there, yeah. to watch the game or to talk about whatever, or watch a show. And that is like quality time in some, in some way. So it's just like... Removing distractions, I guess, is the easy way of saying it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Art, what about you? How, how, what do you need to help you be present and intentional dad for Evan? I think the question answers it itself, right? Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things, like you said, Matt, there's a lot of things drawing at you, pulling at you. It's, it's volunteerism, even. It's things that are helpful. Like, mm. for those of us who work in ministry, they're all good stuff. But, you know, you can trade all those good stuff for a great thing for your your primary place of ministry is with your family. And uh, I think, you know, everything has to take a second uh, or a backseat, um, you know, a second place. If they don't and, and your kids feel their second place, you know, how how awful would that make you feel as a, a, a father or as a parent in general? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, our kids have to feel that they're number one in our lives. Mm. And uh, I'm not saying one of them is number one. And, you know, they're all favorites? number one. We favorites? all have our we, favorites. Do we have a favorite? Do we admit that? <laughs> that's, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Chris mm. Chris is like, uh, yeah. I have a favorite. No, don't admit that, don't, Chris. Mike, don't Mike, say Mike, it, Chris. My kids know the pecking order. My kids know the pecking <laughs> order. <laughs> they know. Chris, um, what about you? In being intentional and present, Dad, what's it going to take? I think for me, it's when I'm home, I'm dad. I'm not pastor. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm, I'm husband and I'm dad and treating my home as such. And so I do my best to leave work at the door when I walk in the door. Now, the past year, that's meant like leaving work in the basement or leaving work <laughs> at the kitchen table because of the pandemic, but leaving it where it is so that when they need me, I'm there and I'm there the entire time. And I'm not just being a dad right. when I'm on holidays or on vacation, yeah. but I'm dad and husband all the time. Yeah. And so being yeah. intentional, it means actually intentionally making space and making time to be that and to do those things. Mm -hmm. So it means learning about why Fortnite is important and why <laughs> drama with this person and that person is something that's really bothering my daughter right now and being fully present in that, even if I have no clue what they're talking about. Yeah, let's talk about the way faith yeah. informs then your parenting. So let's, Art, right back to you. How does your faith, your journey with Jesus, then shape the way you parent your kids? You know, I, I think they, they mutually inform each other. It's amazing. Like when my uh, son was born, here's a kid I had no idea, hmm. male, female, no idea, looked at this child born, didn't look like me. I didn't think he looked like me. Didn't look like mom. Just looked like himself. And instantaneously... I, I understood agape love, unconditional love. I understood it immediately. Hmm. This kid's done nothing to deserve my love. <laughs> hmm. And he's done nothing to not deserve it. Like instantaneously, I love him. And I think that shaped my understanding of God's love for me. And, and therefore, 
it makes me a better father. It makes me a better person. It makes me better uh, a child of God, even because I'm un, I'm understanding theology hmm. from a child born. This is crazy. It's mind blowing. Yeah. And so I, that changed my look at who God is, how God looks at us as people, and at the same time, if therefore, if I believe God is the greatest of all fathers. What does that mean for me? Yeah. What does that mean? Like, do I have his spiritual DNA in me to father? And so I think it's, it's, it's shaped mutually. Yeah, yeah that's my, that's the beautiful. birth of my child just changed me. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Chris, how about you? I'd say two quick things. One scripture is filled with bad dads. <laughs> and so it, it actually, that should be another of the Bible or a book. Go I ahead. mean, like from the jump, like it's, it's like the, I might steal that goes, title. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's my book. Yeah. Um, or it might be a new podcast, Melinda, you never know. Um, but the idea of like, it, it, it takes the pressure off to know the, like, I'm in when I'm not at my best. I'm in, I'm in sort of decent company, hmm. but then reminding myself also of the the lessons that are taught in in their mistakes. Right. And then second thing I would say is how informs my faith is the fruit of the spirit becomes alive, even more so. How much patience have I needed, or or faithfulness have I needed, or yeah. self control have I needed? Yeah. Because that then not only does that inform my parenting, it then informs how my kids then grow up. Yeah. So knowing that there's examples of both good and bad dads, and then knowing that the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of, of Jesus is in, alive in me so that I can do a better job at parenting them so that hopefully they do a good job in whatever they're doing in their lives. That's mm. good. Mm. good. Matt, what about you? I literally jotted down Galatians <laughs> there 5, There is going to be a battle spirit. for the book. You know that. Who's copywriting it first? No, I not the title. Oh. The, the fruit of the spirit. Oh, the of- <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I literally did that too. Like if I'm at the end of my day and reflecting on how I've done as a dad, yeah. And I think about how, you know, how have I been loving, patient, kind, good, faithful? How has that impacted my kids? I jotted down the exact same thing. I love, I love what you say too, Art, too, about seeing your child for the first time and all of a sudden knowing this different kind of love and connection and mm-hmm. care. That's, it's just beautiful. It's, and you can't get ready for that. You can't yeah. tell anyone that's what it's going to be no. until you experience it in that moment. That's really beautiful to hear yeah, and, quickly, and, just that whole idea of seeing a baby, seeing your child actually is a very... Uh, spiritual connecting with God the Father. Well, the As mom gets dads, to feel right, it the whole yeah. time. And then the dad brings yeah. up this, wow, mm-hmm. this is like God, and it, it's really cool. Things are getting real now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Things are getting real. Well, listen, mm-hmm. I had, I have the privilege of uh, being married to a great dad. And uh, I've seen my husband, Chris, uh, really be exceptional, especially through the COVID-19 pandemic, where I've watched him patiently, uh, really parent Uh, Nathan and Sophie are kids and, you know, through mental health challenges, loneliness and fear. And Chris was there uh, through it all. Don't want to be emotional, but I think just seeing a dad step up in place of crisis is pretty amazing. So who better than to do our good word in this show, uh, sharing his encouragement with scripture and what it means to be present than my husband, Chris Orm. So Chris, from the studio to your guitar room, let's go. The Good Word is sponsored by the Canadian Bible Society. You can learn more about their work and find resources to encourage you at biblesociety.ca. Thanks, Mel, and thanks to the guys for such great insights on what it means to be present in the life of our kids. I'm a dad of two great kids, and it's the best. 
it's not always easy, but at every stage, I realize I'm doing this for the first time. My son turned 17 over the summer, and I asked him to be patient with me because this is the first time I've been a dad of a 17-year-old. I will most likely make mistakes, and I will definitely need encouragement and guidance as I try to be the best dad that I can be. I realize that I don't parent in a vacuum. I'm not alone. I'm blessed with access to community, to brothers who encourage and come alongside and with mentors, and of course, our tradition of faith. There's a well-known verse from a collection of ancient wisdom called Proverbs. Proverbs 22, verse 6, and it says this, point your kids in the right direction, and when they're old, they won't be lost. Point your kids in the right direction. It can sound like a daunting task, or it can be an amazing invitation. I would invite you as a dad, a stepdad, an uncle, a big brother, a grandpa, a mentor, a teacher, wherever you are in relation to the young people in your life to step into this invitation and the opportunity we have to model what following Jesus really looks like. Going beyond the right answers and into the right actions. We can model a deep faith in God, and we can model what it means to be kind. We can model a deep commitment to justice. We can model what healthy relationships look like in all of our spheres. And we can model what it means to make space for marginalized voices. This is what it is to be an intentional dad, to be an intentional man, choosing to be present and not only say what is right, but to do what is right. And it's a good word because you are not alone. Amazing. Thanks, Chris. So excited to be partnering with you on these shows. All right, guys, as we wrap it up, what would be your words of encouragement to dads who are struggling today as they're listening to this? I think uh, for me, I would encourage dads that uh, God gives grace to the humble, hmm. you know? So you're, just be humble. Be humble. Reach out to him, not only to God, but reach out to community around you. You don't have to do parenting alone. And uh, you don't have to do fathering alone. Find a band of men who fear the Lord and can call you out and encourage you. And uh, when you're feeling like you're struggling, that you can you can do well to, to admit hardships, admit even joys. And they can share in the joys. They can and stand with you in the hard times. I think be humble about it. Nobody can be perfect in this stuff. Hmm. Anyone who says they're perfect, we're going to find out after they die. They weren't perfect. Yeah. Stories are going to come out. So be humble. God gives you grace. Uh, I think that's it. Amazing. Chris, how about you? Really simple. It's not too late to be the dad that you want to be. It's not too late. And so take all these lessons, what Art just said, and begin to apply it. So if you are one who has had a relationship with your kids that are, that are afraid or you've been distant or work has taken priority. It's not too late to change the narrative and to make space for a better future for you and your family. So take the time, do the work. It's hard work, but it's good work. Yeah. And Matt, what about you? Your encouragement. Oh man, I just feel like everything flows from my relationship from Jesus. That's what I've been learning for maybe the last five years trying to just sit with. And so if I can order my interior world and be at peace with Jesus and be transformed by him, then that will help transform the way I parent. And so for people who are struggling and wondering, I would just say, hey, take a look at the person and teachings of Jesus, find that center there 
and that allows you then to love in a way that you can't just on your own. Beautiful. Awesome. How about you, Mel? So oh you've been sitting yeah. in. What well, do you think? I was listening. Here's the thing. As, as a woman and thinking about dads, I think for women out there, we just need to pray for you guys that, like I think what Art said originally, mm. that you would choose to be intentional. It's choices. If you, you know, you can choose not to work and be with your kids. You can choose not to be on your phone and be with your kids. So I think for me, it's just a reminder, you guys, for me to pray for dads to say, be intentional, choose what's good and choose what's right and choose your kids. Yeah, beauty. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Matt, Art, and Chris for being with us. Honest conversation. I learned a lot. Um, I know this conversation is going to continue, so you'll be hearing from me soon. But I just love that you are willing just to say, you know what, it's, we're not perfect. We're on this journey together, but uh, we're going to try our best. And, and Jesus helps us mm -hmm. through this. <sighs> what a conversation. I, I've always respected John Tyson. Um, <laughs> like you said earlier, I met him over 10 years ago on a women's show that I was a part of before See Here Love called Full Circle. And he's kind of hard on himself when he said that he was horrible. <laughs> he wasn't horrible. I could tell he was nervous. But even from that point, I knew that John was going to be an influencer in North America and in the world. I knew that God had you know, we, he used the word too, but really deposited uh, great communication and wisdom and a way to connect with people in kind of accessible language that I knew would be impactful. And his work in New York City is really inspiring. But my takeaway from this conversation is really what we're talking about is you have to be intentional to be a parent. You cannot just react and just sort of take life as it is and, and hope for the best that your kids are going to turn out well. There is work to do as a parent. There is intentional work in connecting with your, your kids, praying for them, thinking, figuring out best language of what to say. The intentional part of like stop working and actually being with your kids. Uh, and I think that's, that, that speaks to me. I mean, I, I do love my job and I love working and I know that sometimes my work has impeded on my time with my kids. And so listening to John was a good reminder, uh, that your kids matter. They need you. They want you. They want you to be with them. And even if they push you away and swear at you and are angry at you deeply, uh, our kids want to know that they're loved and that we're for them and we're with them. So I think the takeaway for me and I think for those who are listening and watching is be an intentional parent. You need to take the time uh, to listen to them, be with them, and, and say yes to the things that they want to do. So I have a lot of takeaways. I wrote a lot of notes, uh, but I think just reiterating the four points of that there's preparation in being an intentional parent, there's initiation, there's formation, and there's recognition. And those four things are really key as we parent. And make sure you get John's book, The Intentional Father. And uh, I hope you know that God is with you in those hard times of being a parent. God is with you. You can call out to him. Uh, he is listening. Uh, one thing John mentioned is about a church community. If you're not in a church community, that I'd really encourage you to, to find one in your local area to be connected so you're not doing the work of parenting alone. That you will have aunties and uncles and mentors and teachers that can, that can help you and your kids 
through navigating uh, these teen years. But don't give up hope. He is with you. And as we always say on the show, know this encouragement that as you parent, and in the hard times and in the high times and low times, you are seen, you are heard, and you're deeply loved by God, the most incredible father of them all. Thanks for joining us on this episode of See Here Love. Thank you for your ongoing support of Crossroads, a supporter-funded nonprofit organization and member of the Canadian Centre for Christian Charities. Thanks to faithful people like you, we are able to continue producing See Here Love. You can write to Crossroads, P.O. Box 5100, Burlington, Ontario, L7R 4M2, or visit crossroads.ca to learn more about our programs.